0: By 2009, the Canadian city of Mississauga had been home to Bill and Bridget Harrison for almost four decades. Located in the leafy and peaceful Erin Mills district, the Harrison's bright and spacious two-storey, six-bedroom house was a gathering place for their family and friends. It played host to an array of backyard get-togethers and Christmas celebrations. But when Bridget returned to her typically lively and warm home late on Thursday, April 16, 2009, she found it uncharacteristically dark and quiet. 62-year-old Bridget had spent the latter part of the day tied up in a board meeting for work. By the time she pulled into her driveway, it had just ticked past 9pm. She parked her car in the garage and entered her house through an adjoining door. Only to discover all the lights inside were off and nothing stirred within. Bridget called out for her husband Bill, but was met with silence. She began checking each room on the lower half of the house for him. A soft glow emanated from the living room where Bridget found the television playing to no one. On the coffee table in front of it was some neglected, half eaten takeout food. Thinking that Bill might have gone to bed, Bridget headed upstairs to their room, but he wasn't there either. As Bridget made her way back downstairs, something caught her eye. The door to the powder room at the left of the staircase was closed. Bridget tried the handle. It was locked from the inside. She retrieved a pin and used it to pick the lock. Inside, Bill's body lay slumped against the far wall wedged between the toilet and the door. First responders gained access to the powder room where they immediately pronounced a Bill Harrison dead. As there was no overt evidence of foul play, police at the scene believed that Bill had died from natural causes. A coroner was summoned to the Harrison home as sudden death cases required their input to formally rule out the possibility of a homicide. When a coroner viewed Bill's body in situ he noticed faint bruising on Bill's forehead and nose. There were also two linear red marks around Bill's throat that were believed to have been caused by a box-gold chain he wore around his neck. The coroner ultimately agreed that Bill Harrison's cause of death appeared to be natural and didn't require any further police involvement. An autopsy was performed to determine why Bill had died. Given the coroner's thoughts on the matter, the autopsy wasn't intended to uncover evidence for a police investigation or any subsequent prosecution. It was performed by a regular pathologist, whose knowledge was based in seeking the cause and effect of diseases. The pathologist performing Bill's autopsy discovered another relatively serious bruise at the front of Bill's scalp. As there was no trauma to the brain or skull, the pathologist noted the bruising was compatible with the victim striking his head during a sudden collapse. It was also discovered that Bill's sternum, a T-shaped vertical bone in the central part of the chest, was broken. Aware that Bill's death was not being viewed as suspicious, the pathologist theorised that Bill's body had struck the powder room sink mid-fall causing the fracture and bruising. In his report, the pathologist concluded that Bill had suffered from acute cardiac arrhythmia, an irregular heartbeat that can have fatal results. Bill Harrison's death was officially ruled the result of natural causes, and his case was closed. Bridget Harrison had lost her husband of 40 years. Bridget was raised in London, Ontario, where she had found success as an actress. It was backstage during one of her theatre shows where she met Bill, who worked in the production's costume department. Naturally calm, wise and level-headed, Bill complimented Bridget's more passionate and fiery personality. The pair married in 1969 and moved to Mississauga, where Bridget began a new career in education, As a teacher, she was beloved by colleagues and students alike. A determined visionary and engaging mentor, Bridget was promoted into greater roles. She rose steadily through the ranks before earning her current position working directly with Ontario's Minister of Education. Bill found his footing in sales and management. The Harrison's relationship wasn't without hardships. Bill was black and Bridget was white. As a result, they endured judgement from outsiders for being a quote, mixed-race couple. Bill and Bridget rose above the bigotry to become an inseparable team known for their warmth and generosity. In 1973, upon learning they were unable to conceive children, the couple adopted a six-month-old black boy named Caleb. Described as a little rascal, Caleb's cheekiness and curiosity kept the Harrisons on their toes, but they were nevertheless happy with the life they had fostered together. After Bill's unexpected death, Bridget found herself alone in their grand family house. The now 40-year-old Caleb Harrison moved in to offer his grieving mother some companionship. The move proved beneficial to Caleb who had recently been released from prison and needed a place to live. He also had two children under the age of 10. Bridget loved her grandchildren and found solace in their joyful presence. However, it wasn't long before tension arose between Bridget and Caleb. Without Bill, who was described as the family's rock and peacekeeper, the two argued often On the afternoon of Wednesday, April 21, 2010, Caleb's eight-year-old son arrived home from school. The Harrison's front door was unlocked. A few steps in, on the tiled floor at the base of the carpeted staircase, lay Bridget Harrison's motionless body. She was face up, with her hands by her sides and her head resting on the bottom step. Emergency services rushed to the scene only to pronounce Bridget deceased. She had passed away only one metre from the powder room where her husband had died a little over a year earlier. Bridget was fully dressed with her shoes on. Her wallet and eyeglasses were lying alongside her. This led police to believe she had been getting ready to leave the house when she took a nasty and fatal spill down the stairs. With no signs of forced entry into the Harrison home, a responding officer concluded in his report, All in all, the scene has nothing to indicate foul play or a struggle. The coroner wasn't so sure. Blood vessels in Bridget's eyes and cheeks had burst. There was also bruising and abrasions on her chin and neck, which was hyperextended as though she had been strangled. Bones in the back of her neck were also broken. This led to the coroner classifying Bridget's death as undetermined. He ordered that her body undergo a full forensic autopsy. At this point, detectives for the Homicide Bureau should have taken control of Bridget's case. They were aware of it, but ultimately left the investigation to the local division's Criminal Investigations Bureau they began looking into people who stood to gain from Bridget's death. Raising Caleb was no easy feat for Bill and Bridget Harrison. His school years were difficult. Caleb would lash out at his teachers and test their patience, much to the dismay of Bridget, who herself was a teacher. He was also teased by his peers. Bridget had high expectations for Caleb and wanted him to do well. While the mother and son loved each other, they often clashed over Caleb's behaviour. Bill did his best to ease tensions, with his trademark pacificity often acting as a bridge between the quarrelling Bridget and Caleb. The family had a lot of great times together, including interstate trips – But Bridget and Caleb never outgrew their habit of disputing one another. Caleb grew up into a witty young man that others found fun to be around. Driven like his parents, Caleb entered the workforce immediately after graduating high school. He began working for a shipping and receiving business. As a methodical person who thrived in a routine-based environment, the role suited Caleb. He quickly earned the reputation as a dedicated and hard-working employee. In the year 2000, 27-year-old Caleb crossed paths with 19-year-old Melissa Merritt. Melissa worked behind the counter of a doll store in the sprawling industrial complex where Caleb was employed. Melissa found herself drawn to Caleb's outgoing personality and sense of humour. She ended an engagement to pursue a relationship with Caleb. In circumstances that mirrored those of his parents, Caleb was one half of a mixed race couple with Melissa, who was white. The pair married within a year. Melissa aspired to be a mother and Caleb was eager to start a family. Over the next three and a half years, the couple had a son and a daughter together. They settled in a house that was less than an hour's drive from Bill and Bridget. They adored their grandchildren. They helped the pair with their schoolwork and ferried them to their appointments and sports games. Bridget was such a devoted grandmother that she changed her email address to Nana Harrison. Yet by then, Caleb and Melissa's relationship was strained. Caleb drank heavily and the couple often argued about finances. In June 2005, Melissa called the police on Caleb. In an affidavit, she revealed, Caleb put me in a headlock and hit me repeatedly in the head. Caleb denied the allegations. He claimed that Melissa attacked him first by scratching and hitting him and his actions were done in self defence. Caleb was arrested and charged with domestic assault. He spent three nights in jail before receiving bail and a suspended sentence. This incident officially signalled the end of his marriage. Caleb moved back home with his parents. Melissa forbade him from seeing their kids, labelling him an incompetent father. One month later, Caleb went to a keg party. As a condition of his suspended sentence, he wasn't allowed to drink alcohol, so he opted to be a designated driver. He drove his mother's car to the party, picking up several friends along the way. However, during the party, Caleb started drinking. Those closest to Caleb knew that he was devastated to have been separated from his children, and that he used alcohol as a coping mechanism. When the party started winding down at around 3am, Caleb decided to drive home. His friends tried to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't listen. They refused to get in the car with Caleb behind the wheel, so he drove off without them. Caleb was around 10 kilometres from his parents' home when his car veered onto the wrong side of the road. He collided head on with a taxi carrying four passengers. Both vehicles were driving 100 kilometres per hour, resulting in a catastrophic crash. Those involved sustained serious injuries, including many broken bones, and one passenger had been scalped. Upon arriving at hospital, 44-year-old taxi driver Michael Raymond's condition deteriorated quickly. He died from his injuries the following day. Miraculously, everyone else survived. Caleb Harrison was two and a half times over the legal alcohol limit at the time of the collision. He was charged with three counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm and one count of impaired driving causing death. He was released on bail to await trial under the condition that he remain living with his parents. A judge allowed Caleb's two children to stay with him at the Harrison residence for two days a week, as well as every second weekend. This did nothing to quell the animosity between Caleb and Melissa. Shortly after his release from hospital, Melissa reported that Caleb had broken into her home and physically assaulted her in the backyard. She also accused him of assaulting their two children whenever they stayed with him at the Harrison home.
1: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.
0: Or binge the entire series for free on the iHeartRadio app. Ahead of Caleb's upcoming trial, someone began an online petition on Facebook. Although they didn't know the deceased taxi driver, they were furious that Caleb had killed someone as a result of his reckless behaviour. The petition called for signatures in support of Caleb receiving a minimum of five years in prison quote, If we can get 100,000 people to join this group, we can present this to the courts to be sure this drunk driver gets a decent sentence. Please help us to ensure a bit of justice is served. A good man lost his life over this. In the week leading up to the trial, the petition had just over 300 signatures. Caleb Harrison faced court in January 2009. His lawyer argued that Caleb should receive no jail time, stating that Caleb was rehabilitated and incredibly remorseful. Caleb's family and colleagues attested to his good character, describing him as a hard worker and a loving father. While acknowledging that Caleb seemed to be a decent man with many positive attributes, The judge said that the gravity of the offence and the degree of responsibility required incarceration. He sentenced Caleb to 18 months jail with a further two years probation. His licence was also suspended for two years. Caleb had only been in prison for a month when his father died unexpectedly. Caleb was given day release to mourn with his family. In June 2009, he was released from prison early for good behaviour, having served just three months. Caleb moved back into his parents' Erin Mills home to be with his grieving mother. Less than a year later, Bridget was found dead at the bottom of the staircase. Caleb was questioned in relation to his mother's death. While he denied any involvement, the interviewing officer took note of how calm and unaffected Caleb seemed by the sudden loss. Others were interviewed in relation to the case, including Caleb's ex-wife Melissa Merritt. Speaking about the domestic violence she experienced from Caleb, Melissa said, He did some pretty serious stuff to me. If we got in an argument he would not do anything until I turned my back or went to bed. He was sneaky about the way he would assault me, so I know that he has in him a tendency to harm people if they piss him off." She also revealed that Caleb didn't have a good relationship with his mother, before clarifying, "...I'm not in any way pointing fingers. And I'm not saying that's enough to do something to her. Unlike her husband's autopsy, Bridget Harrison's was fronted by a forensic pathologist. Their approach to examining a corpse is medico legal, as their findings could form part of a police investigation or criminal prosecutions. As such, they specialise in examining injuries. The forensic pathologist examining Bridget Harrison's body noted that the fractured bones in the rear of her neck were not typically seen in neck compression cases. Marks across her chin and neck could have been the result of her body hitting the stair rail during a fall. There were also no signs of haemorrhaging in Bridget's neck muscles indicative of strangulation. With findings supporting both the fall and strangulation theories, the forensic pathologist was reluctant to favour either. Instead, Bridget's cause of death was listed as neck injuries. A meeting between different investigative authorities on the incident led to the regional police concluding, At this time, it is unknown how Bridget Harrison suffered these injuries. After two weeks, the investigation into Bridget Harrison's death ended. The case's lead detective concluded, quote, There has been no evidence to suggest Bridget Harrison was the victim of foul play or any criminal act. Caleb Harrison settled in to continue living at his parents' home. He secured a job at an electronics company, started a new relationship, retained shared custody of his children, and stayed out of trouble. He told a friend that while he was depressed about his parents' deaths, his two children inspired him to keep going. By August 2013, three years had passed since Bridget Harrison passed away. On the 22nd of that month, Caleb finished work and drove to the local softball field to coach his daughter's softball team. Melissa had custody of the kids that day, so she was there along with her new husband. Afterwards, Caleb drove home alone. He watched television and had a drink before phoning his girlfriend at around 11pm. He then went to bed. Caleb was a light sleeper, so he slept with an eye mask on and also left a fan running all night to drown out any noise. The next day, Caleb didn't show up for work. Colleagues tried to call his mobile phone, but there was no answer. At around midday, a co-worker drove to the Harrison family home. He was greeted by Caleb's housekeeper. She hadn't seen Caleb in the two hours she'd been at the house. Yet, she hadn't gotten around to cleaning upstairs where the main bedroom was located. Caleb's colleague headed inside and went up to Caleb's bedroom. The housekeeper followed close behind, whispering repeatedly, I'm scared, I'm scared. They reached the end of the hallway and knocked on Caleb's door. There was no response. The pair let themselves in. Caleb was lying in his bed. His blanket was pulled up to his chin and his eye mask was on. He didn't stir when the others called out to him to wake up. 40-year-old Caleb Harrison was dead. Upon arriving at the Harrison house, police were greeted by what appeared to be a robbery gone wrong. Yet, it quickly became clear that something else was at play. The crime was entirely contained in Caleb Harrison's bedroom, where nothing had been stolen. There were also no signs of a break-in. The intruder had the element of surprise striking Caleb as he slept in bed. An altercation ensued during which a shelving unit had been knocked over. Caleb's knuckles were swollen and there were foreign skin scrapings under his fingernails showing that he had put up a fight. Yet, his killer had staged the scene by putting Caleb's body back in bed as if he had died in his sleep. An autopsy revealed that the hyoid bone in Caleb's neck was broken and there was damage to the cartilage of his voice box. This, coupled with bruising and abrasions on the exterior of his neck, determined the cause of his death to be strangulation. Caleb was the third and final Harrison family member to die inside the Aaron Mills house within a four year period. A homicide investigation was finally launched, prompting authorities to reflect on the circumstances surrounding Bill and Bridget's deaths. A detective told the Mississauga News, anything, in absence of an explanation, may seem strange. But there's obviously some very poignant events that happened to one family. To have three sudden deaths occur in the same household is unusual. We would be remiss if we didn't do our due diligence and look at all three deaths in totality. We haven't linked anything, however, everything is on the table. The theory that someone was targeting the Harrison family was one held by their loved ones for years. From the outset, they had trouble accepting that Bill had died from a heart condition. It just didn't make sense for a man who exercised daily, ate a healthy diet and was physically fit. Even Bridget suspected that something wasn't right about her husband's death. She'd brought up her concerns to police on several occasions, asking why the powder room door was locked from the inside if Bill was home alone at the time, and why were all the lights off if Bill was up and using the bathroom. By the time investigators acknowledged these questions, it was too late. Bill's body couldn't be exhumed for further testing as it had been cremated a week after his death. Bridget's untimely and unexplained death a year later only confirmed suspicions held by her loved ones that a killer was on the loose. They pushed law enforcement to reopen Bill and Bridget's cases. The family was told that their suspicions were not enough. The police wanted proof. The Harrison's loved ones were at a loss, Wasn't it the job of the police to investigate and find said proof? And now, Caleb Harrison had been murdered. How could you let this happen? One grieving family member yelled, as the Harrison's house was taped off by police for the third time. They couldn't understand why authorities never listened to them. They had even highlighted two suspects, telling police nobody else has motive. The acrimony between Caleb and his ex-wife Melissa Merritt had continued up until his death, but there was a lot more to it than Melissa was willing to admit. Shortly after Caleb had been released from hospital following the fatal car crash, Melissa had called police to report that Caleb had broken into her home and physically assaulted her. Police visited the Harrison residence to investigate, only to find that Caleb had broken his leg in the car accident. His leg was in a full cast, and even with the help of crutches, he could hardly walk. There was no way he was capable of the allegations Melissa had made. Regardless, Melissa continued to make several similar allegations around this time. When Caleb finally faced court for the original domestic violence allegation against him, he claimed that Melissa had been deliberately misleading police officers in what he called continued attempts to implicate him in acts of abuse and create suspicion about him. Police felt the same way. One officer had even told detectives. I am 100% convinced that Melissa is making up the whole story." Despite this, Melissa was never charged or disciplined. In October 2005, four months after Melissa and Caleb had separated, Melissa met a man online named Christopher Fattore. At 28 years old, Chris was two years older than Melissa. The pair were together for just over a year before they held a marriage ceremony. Their union wasn't legally recognised as Melissa hadn't formally divorced from Caleb. Nevertheless, Melissa and Chris settled in to married life. They had four children over the next five years. Chris was a handyman who also occasionally worked as a security guard. It wasn't enough to support his large family, so the couple sought government assistance and loans from family and friends. Even though she struggled to support them, Melissa wanted all six of her children under the one roof. This included her eldest two children she had with Caleb, with whom she shared custody. Melissa made five separate claims to the Children's Aid Society accusing Caleb, Bill and Bridget Harrison of assaulting the two children whenever they stayed at the Harrison residence. To clear her name, Bridget kept a diary of all the interactions her family had with Melissa. She noted the hateful and degrading way that Melissa spoke to Caleb in front of the children. On one occasion, Chris Fattore threatened, You'll burn in hell for the lies you've told. On another, he yelled out of a car window, you'll pay for this, you fucking bastard. The allegations that Caleb, Bill and Bridget Harrison were harming their children were determined to have been completely unfounded. Once again, Melissa Merritt was lying. She had even been coaching her children on what to say to the authorities to support her outlandish claims. To stem the growing animosity between them, a judge ruled that Caleb and Melissa communicate through writing only. 47 years ago, on a warm summer's night in Melbourne, Susan Bartlett and Suzanne Armstrong were stabbed to death in their home in Easy Street, Collingwood. Suzanne's 16-month-old son was asleep in his cot at the time. Now, Helen has delved into the case again for a brand new original podcast made for Casefile Presents. Search Casefile Presents The Easy Street Murders wherever you get your podcasts, or binge the entire series for free on the iHeartRadio app. It was Chris Vittore who began the online petition calling for Caleb to receive the minimum sentence for his drink driving charges. He wrote, This is Caleb Harrison, the dick that killed someone drinking and driving. He is unfortunately also my wife's ex-husband. Chris had posted a photo of Caleb on which he'd photoshopped devil horns and a speech bubble that read, Give me beer and the keys to mummy's Mercedes. Chris and Melissa attended Caleb's trial, making faces at the Harrison family in court and driving past them afterwards with their tongues poking out. When Caleb was sentenced to 18 months in prison, Melissa was certain she would finally receive full custody of their children. But the judge gave her joint custody with Bill and Bridget Harrison, ruling that it was in the best interest for the children to maintain the lifestyle they are used to. Melissa was angry, stating in a subsequent email, If Caleb is not caring for the children, then no one other than myself should be. The day after Bill Harrison was found dead, Bridget went to her grandchildren's school to check that they were doing okay. The kids weren't there. As part of the shared custody order. Melissa wasn't allowed to withdraw her children from school without a doctor's note. No such note had been given to the school administration. Chris Fattore had inexplicably signed the children out at 1pm the previous day. A teacher revealed that Melissa and Caleb's son had excitedly informed his classmates that he was going on a trip with his family. He didn't know where as his mother was keeping it a surprise. All he knew was that it would take over a day of driving to get there. Upon learning this, Bridget drove to Melissa and Chris's apartment. No one came to the door, which was locked. The blinds were also drawn. Bridget reported her grandchildren's disappearance to the police. They made queries with Chris Fatore's employer who confirmed that Chris had called in sick on the day that Bill Harrison died. He hadn't shown up since. Police gained access to Melissa and Chris's apartment, finding it dark and mostly empty. Days later, Bridget Harrison received an email from Melissa Merritt. In it, Melissa stated that she had fled with her family because she was receiving threatening letters from an unknown party. A letter authored by Melissa and making the same claims was sent to Caleb in prison. It was postmarked April 17, the day after Bill died. When Bill Harrison's funeral was held, his grandchildren were still missing. The next day, Bridget was granted sole custody of the children, despite no one knowing where they were. Missing persons ads were published in newspapers across the country as Bridget sought the help of a private investigator. Two months into the disappearance, Caleb was paroled. Efforts to track Melissa Merritt and Chris Fattore had come up dry. By November 2009, Melissa and Chris had been missing for 7 months. Approval to seize and review Melissa's banking records was granted, providing a much needed breakthrough. They revealed a transaction in the Canadian province of Nova Scotia, 1300 kilometres east from Mississauga. An arrest warrant was issued and the family were finally uncovered. In an effort to go undetected, Melissa had dyed her children's hair and the group were going by different names. Melissa was charged with parental child abduction and she lost access to the two children she shared with Caleb Harrison. They were placed in Caleb's care, who was granted shared custody with his mother, Bridget. Melissa Merritt pleaded guilty and a hearing was set for April 22, 2010. In the lead-up, Bridget Harrison prepared a victim impact statement. She described the seven months her grandchildren were missing as the most desperate of her life. The fact that Melissa and Chris had orchestrated their runaway on the very day Bill had died wasn't lost on Bridget. In her statement, she wrote, Some people believe in coincidences, some do not. Bridget was never able to deliver her victim impact statement. The day before Melissa Merritt's hearing was set to begin, Bridget was found dead. Melissa was convicted for parental abduction and received 18 months probation. Meanwhile, her ex-husband was growing increasingly suspicious. As detailed in the Toronto Star newspaper, Caleb Harrison told a cousin, There's no way anyone falls down the stairs and ends up in that position. It doesn't look right. It doesn't make sense. Caleb had even aired the same concerns to police during interviews following his mother's death. He detailed his rocky history with Melissa while acknowledging the timing of Bridget's death as weird. When asked who he thought was responsible for his mother's death, Caleb replied, I would ask where Melissa and Chris were, personally. When speaking to police about Bridget's death, Melissa Merritt said she was at home babysitting as part of a daycare business she was trying to get up and running. Chris Vettore said he'd spent the day working in his backyard and running errands. Shop surveillance cameras had captured him in town, yet there was a brief time he was unaccounted for. Chris said he had visited Melissa's grandmother to pick up a drum kit. Police never spoke with the woman to confirm this alibi. Melissa worked to implicate Caleb in Bridget's death. In interviews, she referenced Caleb's history of violence against her, even though it was known to be baseless. Furthermore, Caleb couldn't have killed Bridget. An alibi placed him at work that day. With that, the investigation into Bridget's death was closed. Caleb Harrison received sole custody of his two children in the aftermath of his mother's death. Putting his personal feelings aside, in mid-2013, he agreed to a temporary schedule. The children would remain living at the Harrison home, but would now spend every other weekend with Melissa and Chris. It wasn't an easy arrangement, as Melissa and Chris had relocated to a rural town 350 kilometres from Mississauga. But Caleb was making it work. In August 2013, the agreement was due to end. Melissa wanted shared custody, but Caleb refused. He had several child support demands that Melissa refused to meet. The day before the custody battle was due to reach its conclusion, Caleb Harrison was killed. With Caleb dead, Melissa was given sole custody of their two children. In the paperwork, she described Caleb's death as tragic and shocking, but Caleb's loved ones were convinced she was involved in some way. When Melissa attempted to attend Caleb's wake, they turned her away. Both Melissa and Chris maintained that the last time they'd seen Caleb was at the youth softball match they had all attended hours before he was killed. Afterwards, Melissa and Chris ate dinner at a fast food restaurant in a shopping mall. They went home to bed and woke up at 6am. Melissa insisted there was no way that Chris could have snuck out in the middle of the night without waking her. Yet, when presenting this sequence of events to investigators, neither Melissa nor Chris mentioned Walmart this was significant. An undercover officer had posed as a waste collector to confiscate Melissa and Chris's household rubbish. Sorting through it, they found a black pair of size 12 running shoes inside a plastic bag. They had been worn, but were otherwise brand new. The shoes were sold exclusively in Walmart, a multinational retail superstore. Investigators obtained records from the Walmart closest to Melissa and Chris's home. Only one size 12 pair of that particular shoe had been sold in the past two months. The sale had occurred mere hours before Caleb Harrison was killed. CCTV footage captured Chris Fattore as he wandered around the store with the shoes in hand bank records showed he had made a purchase for the exact amount the shoes cost. While Melissa and Chris had admitted to eating dinner at that same shopping mall that night, neither mentioned going into Walmart or buying the shoes. Investigators began covertly following Chris Fattore. They watched as he went around town and swooped when he threw away an empty takeaway coffee cup. They lifted his DNA from the cup and compared it to the skin scrapings from underneath Caleb Harrison's fingernails. It was a match. A pair of latex gloves that were uncovered in Melissa's and Chris's trash also contained both Chris and Caleb's DNA. Following these major breakthroughs, investigators rigged the couple's home with covert listening devices it took five months before they picked up anything significant. Melissa Merritt was heard telling Chris Fattore, You have to realise that the underlying fact of the matter is that you killed Caleb. Chris responded, I know. Authorities executed a search warrant on a trailer belonging to Melissa and Chris. They confiscated a laptop and examined its contents. In the months and weeks leading up to Bridget Harrison's death, someone had typed into a search engine. What if a grandparent has legal custody and they die? How long does it take to die from choking? And how long does it take for a person being strangled to pass out? One month before Caleb was killed, someone had searched Easy ways to kill and get away with it." Melissa Merritt and Chris Fattore were arrested for the first degree murders of Caleb Harrison and Bridget Harrison. After 13 hours of questioning, an exasperated Chris admitted that he didn't like the Harrisons. He spoke of being told horrific stories of how they treated Melissa's children, adding It was an awful family, they treated the children like shit, and I and Melissa had to live with it every day, and I couldn't watch Melissa's attitude and how sorry she was for everything that was going on. The interviewing officer then asked Chris, what did you do?
1: I killed Bridget Harrison and killed Harrison. How did you kill Bridget? I knocked on her door. She opened the door. I pretended to have a letter to give to the children. She refused the letter, so I then forced my way into the house and I adopted her. What did you do? I hit her a couple of times. <laughs> I then proceeded to squeeze her neck. Until she stopped breathing and laid on the floor. As <sighs> for Caleb, I snuck out in the middle of the night. Also had no idea. I laughed at went there. I got into his house. We said to go up to the bedroom. him in the chest and when he's brought up we'd to struggle i threw him into the shelving unit beside his bed he tried to bribe me with money i didn't speak to him i just knocked him to the ground and i proceeded to choke him
0: chris told detectives I'm telling you right now that Melissa Merritt did not know anything until after it was done." The detectives were unconvinced. They placed Chris and Melissa in a room alone together and listened in as the couple started whispering. Chris revealed that he had confessed to Bridget and Caleb's murders in a panic. He told Melissa that he wanted her to get a lesser sentence, explaining, I'm taking the rap for it to give you accessory after the fact. I told them I told you after they were killed." Melissa asked why. Chris replied, because I want you to get our children. Chris Vitore was charged with two counts of first degree murder. Despite his claims that Melissa was not involved, she faced the same charges. When it came to Bill Harrison, Chris said that out of all the Harrison family, he liked Bill the best. He maintained that he was not responsible for Bill's death. Nevertheless, he was also charged with the second degree murder of Bill Harrison. Both Chris and Melissa pleaded not guilty. The couple's joint trial commenced in November 2017. The ugly custody battle between Melissa Merritt and Caleb Harrison formed the basis of the prosecution's case. They told the court that Melissa and Chris thought they stood to inherit millions from the Harrison estate. Chris Fattore recanted his confession at trial, claiming it was coerced. He thought that by taking full blame for the crimes, Melissa would be free to look after their children. While Chris would maintain a not guilty plea when it came to Bill and Bridget's murders, he sought to plead guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter when it came to Caleb. He stated that he had only intended to rough Caleb up and maybe put him in the hospital. The prosecution rejected his plea. They were confident that they had enough evidence to prove Chris killed with intent. The difficulty lay in the case against Melissa Merritt. The evidence against her was circumstantial and her legal team knew it. From their perspective, the prosecution's case at best characterised Melissa as an accessory after the fact. The prosecution argued that Chris wouldn't have committed the murders had he not been compelled to do so by Melissa. It took six hours for the jury to reach a verdict. Chris Vittore was found guilty for the murders of Bridget and Caleb Harrison. He was acquitted of Bill Harrison's murder due to a lack of evidence. Melissa Merritt was acquitted of Bridget Harrison's murder as the jury were unable to reach a decision regarding her involvement. For the murder of her ex-husband, Caleb Harrison, Melissa was found guilty. Melissa cried as her sentence was delivered. Chris sat close by, stone-faced. Both were handed life sentences with a non-parole period of 25 years. When speaking of the Harrison family, Bill Harrison's sister said, I cannot fathom how people who loved their family, loved their friends and loved their community so greatly could have been dealt such an injustice. We have all suffered from recurring violent nightmares of our loved ones' last moments and we will never forget the terror that plagued us for years, not knowing which family member might die under suspicious circumstances or when. Addressing the convicted killers, one of Caleb's cousins said, I hope that one day you realise that you destroyed an innocent family at the cost of your own. In 2020, an independent review was launched into why Bill and Bridget Harrison's murders had originally been overlooked. The extended Harrison family welcomed the investigation, saying that Caleb and Bridget might still be alive had Bill's death been investigated properly. The family issued a statement saying they were haunted by lingering questions about the investigative and forensic handling of the case some of the review was made public. It highlighted a multitude of police errors, including poor communication, note-taking, and coordination of resources. In Bill Harrison's case, a layered neck dissection wasn't performed during his autopsy, even though there were signs of trauma to his throat. The performing pathologist had also failed to uncover any trace of heart abnormalities or heart disease. Yet, he still ruled Bill's death as the result of acute cardiac arrhythmia. The pathologist later reflected, It probably should have twigged to me that something wasn't right. Given hindsight, I suspect that he was the victim of foul play. I could have done things differently, but I can't change it now. And as far as I'm concerned, given the information I had at the time, I did the best I could. Bill Harrison's cause of death has since been changed from natural to unknown. In relation to Bridget Harrison's case, the independent review concluded, In hindsight, the circumstances and post-mortem findings which indicated evidence of possible strangulation may have been sufficient cause for the case to be considered a suspected homicide. It was recommended that a homicide detective review all sudden deaths to ensure no homicides would be missed in the future. The report stated, At no time does a police officer wish to be involved in an investigation that fails to uncover the truth. The trauma that the Harrison family's loved ones endured over the years was acknowledged but for them, it was too little, too late. Bridget Harrison's brother stated, My faith in justice has been destroyed. Melissa Merritt and Chris Fatore's four children are set to grow up with both of their parents behind bars. Caleb Harrison's son and daughter are left without their father or paternal grandparents. A former neighbour of the Harrison family told the Mississauga News, Those of us who've been around for years know what the kids have already been through. They've had way too much for their very young lives. Many have reported on the love Caleb Harrison had for his children and how he wanted them to succeed in life. He had said to others that it was his children that got him through his deep depression following his parents' deaths. He had both their names tattooed on his chest, over his heart. Caleb's obituary read, Caleb found his true calling when he became a father. His fierce devotion to his children impressed all of us who watched him grow up, We all know that he's reunited with his loving parents, Bill and Bridget, in heaven.